0: And as we begin, we see that Paul, Paul highlights the blessing of the Word of God, while also exposing one fallacy for exactly what it is. That fallacy, that flaw in thinking, that, that really illogical thinking. And the fallacy is this, that there must be something better. And that if there is something better, then that's what we should be doing. This idea that, that if God's church is to be of any value, that if the church of Jesus Christ is to be of any value to those who would hear it, those who would participate, those who would attend, then that church must have some value in this world. And that that value in this world is something that can be seen and something that can be measured and as a result, as a result, if, if God's church is to have some lasting value, then that is where the time and the attention and the focus goes. Because compared to last week, in our gospel lesson, Jesus really had just a, a wonderful day. <laughs> if you remember last week in our reading from earlier in Luke chapter 4, Last week, Jesus was preaching in his hometown synagogue and they tried to throw him off the edge of the cliff. He was preaching the word and and they absolutely rejected him. And we saw last week that Jesus used the exact same tools that he has given to his people today, that he still built his ministry on that word of God, that spiritual word which alone changes hearts, and that word which sometimes may have the reaction of rejection. But God's word was not empty. And now, and now the following week, our reading from a little bit later in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in Capernaum. And he has preached there, and then he spends the rest of the day with Simon Peter's family. And that evening, after sunset, after the Sabbath is over, everybody is bringing their sick and the demon-possessed to Jesus. And you read through this, and verse 42, when it was day, he went out to a deserted place. The crowds were looking for him, they went up to him, and were trying to prevent him from leaving them. (laughs) Jesus was received with, with such joy, and the people wanted him there. And if there was anything that would say, this is the place for success, This is the place where where they are absolutely primed to build a church. This is the place where, from a human perspective, if we want to be successful, then this is the place where we should have a church. But it's kind of that, that idea, that fallacy, that says if we have something that is good, then we dismiss what is greater. Because the same thing happens today. The same thing happens today where we look around at the world around us. We see the pain of the world around us. We see the problem of sin play itself out in a a myriad of ways. We see and know from experience, we know the, the difficulty of life in this world. That families and parenting and marriages they need attention that people are stressed and anxious that maybe they have a little bit of trouble putting food on the table that when we look around and we understand that there are there is injustice in this world and maybe it's come so far as to touch our own families and touch our own lives and we look at those things And in comparison, in comparison, it's the most tempting idea in the world to say that if all we do is gather around the Word of God and all we do is hear that Word of God and rejoice in that Word of God and then go on our way, then that must be the lesser action. And surely, the greater action is to make a change in somebody else's life to give hope to the hopeless, to give food to the hungry, to bring justice to the oppressed. And it's almost set up as, as an either-or. I guess that's that's kind of the fallacy that we're dealing with. That either either you as a Christian and Jesus in his church, you care about the hungry, you care about the hurting, you care about the injustice, or you just sit and listen and sing. This either or, and I think this is, if you, if you talk to somebody who is um, rather unacquainted with Lutheranism and the Lutheran biblical approach to scripture, you might hear that. Oh, what does your church do for fill in the blank? Our church is so busy feeding the hungry, and correcting oppression and changing society for the better or being involved politically or with whatever hot-button topic is branded as a political topic. Look at the churches that, even, um, that are so extremely vocal about the right of the unborn and providing for the safety of the elderly, that, that God is the one who is in charge of life and death. And it is our role as humans to submit to that. To speak up in favor of life from its beginning to its natural end on God's timing. And you and I hear that. Or maybe you see the signs. Or you see the little crosses as you're driving down Anthony Wayne Trail. Or you see the yard signs about praying to, to end those atrocities. And it's almost like, it's almost like an either-or. Well, we would do that, but we're the church that proclaims free and full forgiveness. And that's kind of the way that it is spoken against as well. Well, if your church would be doing anything good, and by extension, if you as a Christian were to bring value to this world... Then you would be involved in this cause. And you would be more vocal toward this need. And you would carry out all the needs that that your neighbor needs. And it's set up as this either or. And Paul says, Dear friends, let's not lose our focus. Because the focus must remain where it is if it is to be truly Christian. Because any unchristian, any non-christian person could take up, take up the banner of being pro-life from beginning of life to natural end. Any unbelieving person would see the value in providing food for the needy or helping to provide, um, and provide life skills so that somebody can adjust to life in this world or maybe education or fill in the blank the number of causes and the number of flags that we could take up are endless because sin is endless and the effects of sin are endless. And I think it is right for us to pause for a moment and recognize that reality and to mourn the effects of sin in, in our own neighborhoods and our own communities maybe in our own families, our own extended families, and our own church family for sure. We recognize, we recognize that that a Christian household and a Christian family lives in this world. And just because you are a Christian, that doesn't mean that that you don't know somebody who has who has died from a drug overdose. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that, that your life is all of a sudden roses and daisies and every single relationship it just runs along smoothly. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you don't care. And as a Christian, we ought to be the people who first and most even loudly recognize injustice for where it is. But we don't buy the solutions that the world has to offer. Because as a Christian, we have a different purpose. And that fallacy, that idea, that if you are a Christian, then the only way to demonstrate that Christianity and the only way to live as a Christian is to live out that life in a life of good deeds in this world. It's an idea that pushes Jesus to the sideline. We talk about it a little bit um, in the the take-home Bible study inside the back cover. So you'll probably see that again this week. But of all the, the banners that could be taken up, of all the ideas that could be supported, it wouldn't take too much to look at the churches in Holy Toledo and see them. That's the church that always is, you know, hosting the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting to help you break free from addiction. And that's the church that always has the the banners and the little crosses on the lawn praying to end abortion. And that's the church that tries to make sure that all the hungry are fed in their neighborhood. And that's the church that works together with local shelters to provide a place for people to stay when we get two feet of snow. And that's the church that wants to be more active politically and they kind of are but it makes me uncomfortable and you look around and perhaps it is true that we see that we see even our own community in what Paul says looking at verse 3 of our reading from 2 Timothy for there will come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, because they have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in line with their own desires. They will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And, and looking at this, it's almost like that's the last refuge. That's, the, that's where we retreat to. And I've, I've heard it enough in, in a number of different settings and churches. Well, we would do that. But here is what we are doing and look at all the places out there as though the problem is out there. All the places where people are just gathering around, itching ears. It's almost that last refuge that says, well, the same fallacy, but turned around. Because we preach full forgiveness, and because we have the word of God, We don't see the need, we don't see the value, and we don't see how we can or should bring any sort of value to our community. It's definitely possible. And the way that Paul puts it, he says, Dear friends, dear friends, it really rests on the word that your status as a Christian means that you're absolutely unique because God has done his work in you. Not because the circumstances of your life are so utterly unique, and not because your family tree has has is, is all in line perfectly and never having to experience hardship or pain or the results of sin. That you as a Christian are unique, not because you out of all people in the world, don't care about life in this world. But you are unique because you've been bought by the Son of God. And you've been brought into the faith. He created faith in your heart through that same word. And he wants to do that for others too. That we, as God's church, we have this one unique purpose that no other body in this world has. And we have the one unique tool that even many who claim to be Christians have forsaken. That word of God. The word of God that is trustworthy. A word of God that that we build all of our work upon. A word of God that we gather around to hear, exactly as 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 Paul writes to Timothy here, when he says in verse two, this word of God has application in every area of life. He says, Preach the word, be ready whether it is convenient or not. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with all patience and teaching. Correct and rebuke and encourage. It's one tool, this, this divine word from God this one tool that is applied to Christians' lives, this one tool that has changed your heart, this one tool that makes you different, that as a group makes Christ's church different, this one tool that sets before us the exact and only purpose that we have. The exact and only purpose that we have is to share that word, is to look at that word, to listen to the word, to talk about that word, to order our lives according to that word. The one tool that we have is the one thing that sets us apart. And in that word, what do we see? We see a Jesus who died for the sins of all people and that the forgiveness he won for them is true and real and factual, even if they don't believe it. That it's not their belief which makes the forgiveness real. But rather, if they don't believe, they forfeit what Jesus won for them. If they don't believe, if they don't know about it, they forfeit the righteousness that Jesus won for them. And that's the message that we have. Where that forgiveness from God doesn't depend on you changing your life or finally kicking the habit or finally making sure that you have a good enough image so that everybody else thinks that here is somebody who has it all together. No, you're standing before God depends on this son of God and his word working in your life, which he has and which he still does. And through this same word, he sends his spirit to, yes, build his church, So, how can those who are so heavenly-minded be of worldly good? Which is kind of where we started. That if we are so concerned about forgiveness of sins and eternal life, is it possible that we would be so distracted or rather consumed by that truth that we would not care. Because that's the way the the fallacy, that false dichotomy is set up. Either either you hold on to your Bible, or you care about the world. That's the way it is presented in conversation. Either you are one of those Bible-believing Lutherans. Well, okay, you are, Pastor Hagen. But our church, our church is active in caring for those who live nearby. That's that false dichotomy, that false choice to say it's an either-or. Either you have the word of God or you are active in caring for your community, but you can't be both. And to all that, to all that, I say, well, look at how much Jesus cared about people. He spent his day preaching there at the synagogue, and then he went to Simon Peter's house afterward with his disciples, and he healed the sick and drove out the demons of all who came. But he never missed his purpose that all of that outside work didn't take the place of his preaching. That here, at that place, there at Capernaum, it looked like this would be the place of success. This would be the place to, to build a movement. This would be the place where the people would come flocking. This would be the place where he would set up and establish heaven on earth, a place of, of no pain, a, pace, a place of no heartache, a place of no loss, and no hunger. But instead, Jesus doesn't do that. Even though he spent the evening healing the sick and driving out the demons and providing for the needs of the people, look at what he says. That's verse 43 of our gospel lesson. Jesus told them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too, because that is why I was sent. This one unique purpose of his which was to preach the word of God to other towns too, so that that word of God would travel all over the world, not just addressing the temporary and earthly needs of the people, not just addressing the injustice of a world that will one day be consumed by the Lord's fire, but instead addressing the eternity of people who have eternity to look forward to, and by God's grace do look forward to it. Addressing the reality that you, as a person, at the same time, yes, you had a beginning, but you don't have an end. That your life in this world is one tiny dot on the timeline of the rest of your eternity. That you started and your life began as a little baby, but that goes on forever. That when your heart stops beating here, and when you're, <laughs> when you're taken to heaven, then at the end of time, Jesus will raise your body and put it back together with your soul to live before him in righteousness and purity forever. And it will be every person who stands before Jesus there at the judgment. So do you think that means that we should care about them? Recognizing, first of all, that Jesus won forgiveness for all people as an objective, unchanging fact. And that, secondly, all of those all people will stand before Jesus at the judgment. And we have the absolutely unique purpose and the unique message of sharing the word of life with them. That can not just not just change their afternoon, not just change their hungry belly for a little while, but change their eternity. That yes, we care because Jesus cares. And that means, yeah, sharing the word of God, rejoicing around that word of God together, gathering together as the little flock of the Lord in this place, gathering together to encourage one another with that same word of God that, that God's word applies in all the happy areas as well as the difficult areas of your own life. That God's word even applies to that closet with the skeletons that you don't want to see again. Because that word of God is useful for correcting, rebuking, and encouraging. And so far be it from us to be so distracted by the needs of our neighbor that we forget about, forget about the blessing through our Savior and the blessings that he brings through that word. But my question and I don't have an answer for you right now but my question for you is it possible not to not to take up the flag and be known as the church with this cause or that cause but is it possible to do more so that those maybe who are in need in our community or those who really need the word of God applied in their own lives too for those who who need the hope that only Jesus can give is it possible that our congregation could do more I think the answer is yes <laughs> the obvious next step is the question of what not to replace not to even try and supplement the word of God but rather as a result of that word of God in our lives together. As part of our, yes, sanctified Christian lives together. To say that, you know what, my Jesus has given me everything. My Jesus has promised me the forgiveness of sins, and I've got the sort of peace of mind and peace of heart because of his righteousness that I tasted. And I've got the sort of peace of mind and peace of heart that has set me free from being caught up in all the worries of this world because I know I have a Lord who watches out for me and who cares for me and he tells me about it in his word. That it is possible as a result of that truth which we hold on to ever so dearly, it is possible that as a result of that truth that maybe... Maybe there is somebody or some avenue of work together where we can bring some relief to those who need it. The options are nearly endless, but they need to be in the proper order and the proper purpose that we gather around the Word of God and that we want to love our neighbor as a result of that word's work in our lives. And so the question, the question, what would that be, has to be preceded by, how can we use God's word more? That question of, what more could we do? It's a useless and empty question, unless it begins with, how can we use God's word more? How can we gather together with our fellow Christians more? How can we dig into the Word of God more? How can we treasure these doctrinal truths that that aren't dry and stuffy and catechism stuff from another age, but rather same doctrinal truths that apply to our lives today and perhaps with far more areas of application than when you first learned them as a little 12-year-old, that the Word of God which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, that this word of God wants to work upon your heart as well. This spiritual word that God uses to reform and to reshape his people, to give his church a purpose in this world, and yes, it might be a purpose that the world will always scoff at, but I'm not interested in the least of winning their favor. We are interested, as Jesus said, in being faithful with that word. Not chasing after the success of Capernaum or shrinking away from the rejection of Nazareth, but using that word and holding on to that word as the one truth that is our life, the one truth that has set you apart. The one truth that Jesus says, that that rather Paul says, that you have known from infancy. This word that is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, and the result of that. So that the man of God, so that the people of God, yes, may be equipped and ready for good works. Amen.